Front-end web development was simpler in the past. CSS, HTML, and JavaScript were all you needed to know. Today, we have mobile web, React, Angular, PHP, jQuery, so much more. Mark Grabansky focuses on what he believes is timeless, pure JavaScript. Mark is the founder of Frontend Masters, a training site for developers who want to build quality web interfaces. Mark joins us today to discuss the shifting nature of front-end development. If you're a fan of Software Engineering Daily, we want to know how to improve. Please take five minutes to fill out our listener survey. There's a link to the survey in our newsletter and on our website. We would love to know what you think. We would love to know what you want to hear more of and what you want to hear less of. We read all of the feedback we get, so please fill out the survey. Help us build the best software podcast for you. Mark Kurbansky is the founder of Frontend Masters, a training site for developers who want to build quality web interfaces. Mark, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Hey, thanks for having me. There was a time when front-end web development was simple, and there wasn't a huge variety of different ways to do things, but today that is not the case. We have mobile web, React, Angular, PHP, jQuery, Meteor, the list goes on, and I want to start with your historical perspective, because we started off at simpler times, and I want to get a picture of how you see the evolution of web development and how it has progressed over the last few decades. Yeah, that's a big lofty question. Um, yeah, I've been a software engineer, I would say, since maybe 2000, back when it wasn't cool, when dot-com you know, bust, and it was definitely not cool to be a web developer back then. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just remember kind of diving into you know, table-based layouts and uh, spacer GIFs, and it was the, the era of Dreamweaver and all these tools that, you know, we're just trying to figure out, like, just basic layout. And then we, you know, sort of moved over to CSS, and I was just like, this is crazy. This takes, like, way more code than, you know, tables and spacer GIFs, and, you know, it's, it's just insane uh, to do the same things that we were doing before. And then kind of, you know, moving into, uh, I don't know, it was probably like 2004-ish era where, you know, websites, you wanted to start to make them, you know, more interactive. There was the whole like DHTML and, uh, you know, that kind of era where we were all talking about DHTML and, uh, you know, JavaScript and stuff. And, you know, I was writing pure JavaScript components back in the day, um, wrote like, you know, a bunch of just kind of what you would consider like plugins or whatever components um, just in pure JavaScript. And then jQuery came out um, as one of these just kind of like, oh, here's a collection of JavaScript utilities. And, you know, it's interesting because it starts with a CSS selector and then you can do all your functionality or whatever. And so I took one of my components and I was just like, okay, well, let's take this calendar um, that's written in pure JavaScript and let's you know, ported over to jQuery and it shaved off like 40% of my code without me or in an afternoon in like three or four hours. Um, just an insane amount of code. I was just like gutting all this code, um, you know, pure DOM manipulation and, you know, hacks and stuff, browser hacks and stuff. Um, and jQuery just like really simplified things. So um, that plugin that I released uh, in the jQuery UI uh, or jQuery ecosystem became what is the jQuery UI date picker today, which is still uh, one of the most used UI components on the internet. And so, you know, that kind of, um, you know, experience I got with open source and sort of like this was back where we did everything through SVNs and I was getting like thousands of emails with like SVN diff patches and um, open source was just like very weird um, back then, you know, before GitHub and all that. And yeah, so then with GitHub and open source started becoming, you know, I guess more prevalent and everything. Um, and I think that, you know, in some ways GitHub has really drastically, uh, you know, changed the, you know, entire profession because it's now like open source is almost default. Um, 
you know, you put your stuff on your GitHub, you try to, you know, um, get usage and get stars and all that stuff, right? So we, totally. we see a, a ton of new tools, a ton of, you know, people just spinning up, you know, new ideas. All you have to do is push to GitHub and so go. So speak, speaking of that, like, you know, G- GitHub has certainly contributed to unlocking this volume of open sorcery. Um, and, you know, jQuery, like jQuery seems like almost maybe when I think back, like this demarcation point, uh, of the simpler times and like post jQuery, there's all these like huge front end frameworks that have, have gradually risen in prominence. So how do you see the evolution from jQuery towards the present where we have things like react and angular and meteor? Yeah. I mean, the biggest one, I think, that kind of changed how we think about front-end code was like Backbone, right? Because Backbone was one of the first times where, you know, we're saying like, okay, there are very hard problems that are on the front end and let's like take a stab at kind of organizing this functionality uh, with the models first, right? And, you know, take take the truth out of the DOM, uh, so to speak. And so, I mean, with Backbone that kind of entered into, people were like, well, you know, I have better ideas than Backbone. I remember when, you know, Mishko, or Mishko uh, you know, talked to me about, like, Angular, and he was like, you know, how did Backbone become so popular? And it's just, you know, I mean, it's funny to think, you know. First mover. <laughs> yeah, and so he, you know, he uh, released his ideas with, you know, two-way bind- data binding and stuff like that, and obviously we've kind of switched to more of this, one-way data flow now with React and Angular 2. But, yeah, I mean, Backbone in a lot of ways was one of the first times that we were just trying to, like, solve or, you know, like an organization crisis of, you know, the... Was Backbone pre-Rails? Um, no, I think Rails was around 2004. Okay. And Backbone was around 2006, 2007. Fairly different sets of problems, I guess. Yeah, I mean, kind of tackling similar, I mean, I mean, in the back end, you know, I, I guess, you know, Ruby came out, uh, or, you know, eventually Rails, and it was trying to solve the fact that, like, you know, I mean, Java development was just insane, like, everybody was including a million different jars, and it was just kind of like, let's make one path to, you know, building functionality and and. Um, a more sane way, at least I feel like, with Rails. But yeah, um, on the front end, uh, with JavaScript, it was just like people were like, wow, we're using a lot of JavaScript. We're making these sites, you know, Ajax uh, enabled with jQuery and all this stuff. And it's just started getting, you know, insane to deal with all these Ajax requests and all this uh, functionality on the front end. And so Backbone was sort of like the first uh, kind of prevalent solution to the fact that we're, you know, making pages, you know, all dynamic and, you know, requesting from the server without a page load. And, you know, so I feel like, yeah, jQuery was like a big deal because everybody started making their Google started doing like Google Maps and Gmail and all this stuff um, right around that uh, 2005 era. And we're like, wow, JavaScript can do a lot. And yeah, Backbone was sort of a solution to um, the craziness that was happening in the front end. Okay, so maybe the discussion to have is the evolution from Backbone to the more recent technologies like React and Angular and Meteor. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so Meteor is more of like a full stack thing that we're, Certainly. That we're saying we're like, wow, JavaScript can actually be on the server as well. Um, there are some early experience, experiments like uh, like John Riesig was writing like in Rhino, which is like a, uh, you know, kind of like Node.js, pre-Node.js. Um, and so, yeah, like with Node and that Meteor path, I guess, putting JavaScript on the server, that was like added a whole nother layer of complexity and that's where Meteor came and all that. Um, but yeah, prior to that, it was, you know, just on the front end. So we went from Backbone to... Um, you know, I feel like it was really backbone and then angular. There's like knockout and some, some experiments with, um, like MVVM or whatever. What was the Delta from backbone to angular? Uh, what do you mean by 
like what why was angular enough of an improvement that people uh you know ran away from from backbone to angular um well i think you know from my perspective what was exciting about angular was really like the directives and the ability to you know sort of componentize html right so being able to say like this is a you know a ui component and you can declarative declaratively like reuse that through your application i thought that was pretty interesting and then you know they had a story for you know services and how you fetch the data and all that kind of stuff which you know backbone did but i i think really like the, the exciting part for me at least with angular was the fact that now you have these like declarative tags with directives that you can kind of like reuse through your application and you know that's what was exciting about react as well which was sort of the components and the fact that you know you have this virtual dom that makes uh you know, dynamic updates, you know, not slow. Sure. So, so we'll get into React versus Angular in uh, a little more granular detail. But like this idea, this idea of the, the directive being important, you know, we had we had classical object orientation for a long time. Uh, we had you know, class, class-based class inheritance. We had all these conversations around around the object model. Um, and it was mostly, it mostly occurred in the context of the back end because that's where programming started on the quote unquote, well, what we would now refer to as the back end. You know, in yeah, the past, we the, probably didn't have the request have, response cycle or whatever. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And so I, I'm curious if you think that, um, does do the object oriented principles from back end development do they accurately map to how we want to do things on the front end like with 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 inheritance and and so on yeah i mean that's really like an architectural question um does it map well i mean the the thing is you know, on the back end, we used to have like this request response cycle, and now it's like really changed. Where you know, things like you're talking about um, optimistic updates, optimistic UI, like that's exciting stuff, and not a whole lot of people are doing it. Where you're saying like, as I'm interacting with this UI, it's going really fast. It's doing everything that it it does, and sort of the data is just kind of handled in the background, and you just assume that stuff is actually going to be handled properly. And then the UI sort of like reverts back if there's an error or something. Um, so, I mean, that cycle is really different, right? <laughs> it's a different way to think about it because on the server, it's like, all right, I get some, I have some inputs in and I'm going to spit back HTML or I'm going to spit back JSON, right? And that's really like the entire cycle on the back end. And, you know, I built large applications and, you know, .NET and Ruby and Java and all the stuff, C-sharp and, uh, well, yeah, obviously with .NET, but, um, yeah, all these different languages. And it's really, it's just data in, data out. And, you know, I didn't enjoy that. I think the the UI being, like, responsive and, like, you know, interacting with the, you know, web web application, like, everything should be like snappy and fast and like just assume that you know the data will the data layer like will eventually persist and that's like a new way to build things and i don't think that that problem has really been solved yet right we're starting to see some things with like batch requesting or batch sending data with like graphql and all this stuff right um so people are thinking about it but you know, I don't think we're like there yet. We haven't arrived. We have a lot of problems to solve uh, because you don't have this like just typical response request cycle. Now you have like, you know, local caching and, you know, all the things that sort of like native app development is more like, right? So, you, you know, you cache the stuff in the browser and then you eventually persist it. Um, I don't know. <laughs> and there's cases where it needs to be accurate and there's cases where you can lazily send it back and I mean sure so so in a modern context you know we're talking about this this request response cycle and the modern interaction between the front end and back end 
How do you define the difference between front-end development and back-end development, and how is that reflected in the responsibilities of of different types of developers? Um, well, my view is front-end is like UI-focused, right? I always kind of talk about the bits you touch, you know, the bits you interact with, the bits you click on and touch. You know, I, I view that as UI, and if you're kind of like a UI-first developer that means that you care about that experience of touching the UI and making sure it's responsive it's fast you know that that you know web performance like delivering the payload quickly all that kind of stuff i mean th- that to me is like ui engineering right and then on the the back end like it's more like you know distributed architecture and like processing and algorithms and stuff like that and uh, data in, data out kind of stuff. But yeah, I mean, the lines are obviously getting blurred now because of, you know, more and more logic is being pushed to the client, more and more responsibility uh, for all of us to become, you know, um, at least somewhat capable in, you know, JavaScript and these frameworks and stuff like that. So it's sort of like, I feel like sort of the back end people are being dragged into the front end, kicking and screaming. And now that they have to suddenly become, React experts or whatever, and you know they just want to deal with the data, right? But the reality is, you know, it's sort of the data is everywhere, and it's in the UI now. So now you have to care about the UI, regardless if you want uh, to or not. And sort of the the UI first people, I feel like, are um, sort of rare because you kind of have to have some sort of a design aesthetic sense and really care about, you know, be empathetic to the user. And sort of like sit there in the front end, and I feel like that's just such a rare thing to have somebody who understands both, you know, the user and what they're trying to do, as well as you know, be able to communicate with sort of the back end distributed architecture data type people, right? <laughs> okay, so let's let's talk about more uh, tangible things. So, if someone out there listening right now is building a web app. How should they decide what set of front-end technologies to use? Yeah, that's tough. I mean, like a lot of times it comes down to, you know, can you hire for it? Um, a lot of times it comes down to like, you know, in my case, my background is consulting. So I, I never typically could even choose the stack, right? So I just had to understand all of these different frameworks and be able to work within them and do what I needed to do inside them. So I, I think the biggest thing is just to like really understand JavaScript really, really well. Because if you understand the underlying stack, the underlying technology really, really well, then it doesn't matter whether it's uh, React or Angular 2 or whatever that comes out. Like if you understand, you know, sort of programming principles, it applies, you know, across the framework. So that's kind of like obviously the answer is it depends, right? depends on your use case. It depends on your team. It depends how much flexibility. Are you the one that's making the decision or is it a side project? Um, you know. So you, you personally, let's say you were building a web app today. Let's say you, know, you don't have to work on front-end masters anymore for some reason. Google comes and buys you for a billion dollars uh, and you want to go, in, but then you have an idea and you want to go build a web app. Like let's say you have an idea for like a Facebook or an Airbnb or a product hunt or a Uber Whatever name your business that you would want to try to build, what would your stack look like? Well, I think like at this point, I mean, React is getting so much. It's like so mainstream, um, and obviously, like the DOM diffing stuff makes things fairly fast. And um, you know, some of the tooling with like Webpack is is pretty awesome. So I'd probably, you know, I'd probably go down that route. Um, a lot of people are, you know into Redux and stuff like that with dealing with, with the data. And I, I'd probably play around with it because it's popular, not necessarily because, you know, I, I mean, I've been building in pure JavaScript forever, so I, my inclination is just to write it. Like, I don't feel like there's a problem I've ever encountered that I can't handle with just pure JavaScript, right? Pure JavaScript objects. And, I mean, I've, I've built, you know, it's like people are talking about time tra- travel debugging and, hot reloading and stuff like I mean most most of that stuff like I had back in you know 2007 um, just in pure JavaScript 
So, you know, my, my fallback is always to just write it in pure JavaScript because it's like, what can't you model with an object? And if you have objects and application state, you know, you can pull the pieces out and, you know, put them on the UI or whatever, um, interact with the user and update that model. I don't, I don't feel like I've ever had a problem that that doesn't, you know, scale up to, I guess. Right. So then, then why isn't your answer? I would build my app in pure JavaScript. Why is your answer that you would go with React? Like, what are the conveniences? Well, I don't know that I would go with React, but I definitely like play around with it and see what it affords me. Um, You know, because it is popular. Like, I think it's it's important to understand how everybody else is building, uh, you know, applications and build something at least small and see what affordances that it gives you. You know, like, I do like some of the concepts, like, being able to have, like, understand, the, like, how the data flows through, you know, the UI and being able to, ha- like, build up little components and that kind of thing. Like, some of that stuff is really cool, and you can play with it and understand it and then bring it on into your own way of developing, right? So, I've built stuff in pure JavaScript forever, but what are, you know, what are the what are the things that are popular out there today and what are the patterns and what are the affordances that it gives you? Like what are the things that it gives you? Um, what power, special powers does it give you and how can you just draw that into, you know, your just kind of mode of thinking and building interfaces and maybe Perhaps there's something would, there. Would yeah. you, would you write fewer lines of code if you were using react? Um, possibly. Um, yeah, possibly would be writing less, uh, some you know DOM manipulation and stuff like that, um, yeah. So okay. I don't know. I mean, but a templating library is like fairly similar. So I don't know. Sure. Okay. So speaking more in terms of contrast with Angular, like Angular seems to be the most popular front end UI tool these days, just in terms of like how much code there is in the wild that people are actually working on maintaining but the trend is moving towards react do you do you agree with that yeah i guess i mean from what i've seen it seems like react is almost more popular at this point and there's that whole like fork in the road now with angular one and angular two um you know i think angular two is borrowing a lot of what's good from react um so it's yeah, I mean, it's an interesting space to watch. Like I said, I write everything in pure JavaScript, so I'm more of a, um, you know, I just like to see the concepts at play, and I like I like when our teachers come and they teach, you know, here are the con- fundamental concepts and why it's interesting, right? Yeah, so, so do you think... Uh, is there a possibility that Angular could regain the momentum that React has kind of seized from it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're just talking about popularity right now. Like, who's going to be more popular or whatever? Um, well, but it's some. I mean, it's somewhat yeah. of a compounding interest sort of thing. Like, if, I think you know, a lot of the great ideas that are that Facebook is releasing, like of how to build UIs is sort of perpetuating into the entire culture of UI development. And, you know, in turn, you know, Angular 2 is looking, you know, more like React or whatever. And, um, and, and, you know, ditching two-way data binding, going with like a more sane data model and all that kind of stuff. So it's, I mean, I, I always just look at the fundamental concepts and, you know, that's what I was saying before. I would use React and Redux and the latest stuff just to see, like, what what concepts I can pull out of it. And really, to me, it's all about fundamental, you know, software engineering principles that you, you know, you learn how to look at these technologies, see what affordances they give you, and then, you know, adopt the cool mm. stuff from it. And so, yeah, I mean, whether Angular 2 is going to become, like, super popular, like, we'll see. I mean, it's all about... Um, use cases can they create great you know use cases and their documentation and great documentation and great you know learning and make the learning curve easier and you know is their manager putting pressure on them to use it or whatever or, 
you know, are other teams using it? I mean, you know, popularity is a weird thing, right? It, but it it's all about great documentation and great onboarding and, you know, what concepts you can pull out and how that actually helps you um, build better software, build more predictable UI. The utility of popularity was really apparent to me uh, last week when I was at React Conf and I was uh, worshiping at the altar of, uh, of React with several other acolytes. And there were, you know, these presentations of people who were building significant things for the React ecosystem that they didn't work at Facebook and like it was, it, it really brought home. I mean, this is one of the first conferences I've ever been to, but like, for example, there was this, you know, a guy from uh, who had originally worked at Twitter that like was building a React virtual reality thing. And then there was like a guy from some other company that was, uh, you know, building a React uh, graphics library. And this is really, really impressive. And so like, you know, we can talk about popularity with disdain, uh, but it, I don't think it's like a high school type of popularity. This is like a popularity where it's actually pretty important. And it's like, this is an example where wisdom of the crowds is not some misleading, um, you know, nefarious, uh, hive mindish type of thing. It's more like a, this is actually really significant. It comes back to what you said about GitHub, like the the GitHub social coding movement makes wisdom of the crowds actually quite quite important. Yeah, I mean, it's all about how you handle community, right? So I remember actually talking to Pete Hunt when he was originally talking about React, right? Um, it was like at Fluent 2015 or something like that. I remember talking to him, and you know, and I, you know, I was like, "Wow, these like principles you're talking about are amazing." Like I was actually uh, astounded at the principles, but um, you know, underlying React. But I said, like, "There's no way that this is going to be popular unless Facebook figures out open source, figures out how to engage the community." And you know, and it's weird because like all of a sudden, like six months, a year later, they, they became like almost the shining like star with like being able to, you know, open up and be open to ideas from the community and letting people from the community in and um, contribute and, you know, pull requests upstream and all that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, uh, popularity is really all about community, right? I feel like John Reeseg with jQuery was one of the best community managers. He was very good and very effective at getting other people effective within the community and making sure that their ideas were were um, carried with weight and shown to the public or whatever. And you know that was really exciting about jQuery because it was the first time that somebody was able to manage the community well. Right? He was amazing at that. And then with with Angular and Mishko. You know, Mishko just built it as a side project. He didn't build it as a Google project. Like Angular wasn't a Google project. It was just, you know, some dude's side project that he, you know, rebuilt something uh, instead of Gwit or whatever. He he built it in his own framework called Angular, and he did it really well um, quickly. And so they're like, wow, this is great. And then they started seeing community, uh, you know, contributions by open sourcing it and talking about it and evangelizing it. And, you know, they, they became really good at the community. And so a lot of those Angular people that are there today are actually not Google employees. They're like people of the community using Angular that eventually get hired by the Google team, you know, or by Google to work on Angular, right? So it's really like of the community being brought up, right? And it, so I didn't, it became a Google project over time. Whereas Facebook, this is like, you know, sort of internal ideas that they did uh, this is how they solve these problems. Then they started open sourcing, and like all of a sudden, they got community. And I, I, you know, I'm still flabbergasted that that happened so quickly. I think it was between 2015 and 2016, and now they're every everywhere. Like they're releasing, you know, stuff out into the public, and everybody's contributing. And um, you know, like you said, uh, React conference that was actually like somebody like from the marketing team at Facebook was saying like, Hey, react is pretty hot. Let's do a conference around it. And so it's really weird to see like the internal culture of Facebook really embracing that. And that, that conference actually came from marketing of all things like what the heck. Um, usually conferences are, you know, community, uh, a run or whatever, but it, you know, it ended up to be a, a fantastic conference and, 
And yeah, obviously Facebook like gets open source now, which is really well, weird it, to say. It, you know, at, at this point, like, you know, the marketing department, it's probably easy, pretty easy for them to justify the cost because like the, uh, you know, the, the virtuous cycle of investing in marketing, which translates to increased open source, which translates to better community, which translates to better products. Uh, it's quite clear if Facebook is overseeing a lot of this and and getting the most you know, capturing that 5% of the giant market that they are creating of open source. Um, yeah, and also and, the engineers, when they come in, you know, get hired or whatever by that company, if that company has, you know, open source out there, then, you know, some of the their stack is already known before they get to the company. And people see that as, like, a great, like, onboarding thing. It's like Google open sourced all this stuff, and now all of a sudden, you know, when they hire Google, you know, people like suddenly they already understand you know a lot of their stack because google has open sourced a lot of their stack right oh yeah and that's that, tensorflow that's actually that's, what's that's, happening with facebook and that's that's exactly what what was happening with tensorflow and google and you know google i i think about like the google versus apple thing and like uh you know the the machine learning community kind of criticizing apple for never publishing anything and and really having a such a closed uh, environment environment that is as closed as their software ecosystem in terms of in terms of open source and uh, you know I think I think yeah it's made... weird like what's the deal with Apple and what's the deal with Amazon like why are they such shitty companies internally as far as dealing with open source and the community but yet they make amazing products like it doesn't make they sense. commercialize open source yeah it just well you know doesn't make I... sense to me. But. You know, I, I can, some some insight to defending Amazon here, and and I've criticized Amazon plenty on this show, and I I worked for them briefly, but like one one interesting thing is I think they they commercial so like two things one like the Amazon Dynamo paper that was an example of essentially open sourcing and that was incredibly influential yeah. on, on the community like React and, uh, came out of it and every or React sorry React, React. exactly that's exactly right <laughs> entire business. Uh, Cassandra, arguably, yeah. but and then and then also the other thing is like, sure they commercial they that you could argue that Amazon the Amazon steals and commercializes all this open source software, but they do it at the lowest margins possible. So that's arguably like a defense of their of their restrictiveness on like uh, open sourcery because. They they charge so little for it, and in that sense, they protect developers who want to have a infrastructure as a service, a platform as a service that is not gonna is not gonna uh, price jack them um, like you know some some other vendors might. You know, Amazon really does have this reputation of being low margin. Um, yeah. So I don't know. That's 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 one defense of Amazon. I I certainly agree that they could probably be a little more gratuitous in their open sourcing but well yeah i mean i i know like personal friends of mine are just like yeah they just can't work on amazon because they can't do open source at all and so yeah it's like once you get into that closed ecosystem you're closed forever it's it's really weird really weird stuff but mm-hmm. totally maybe <laughs> tangential to front end but man do does amazon like have so many APIs now, you can use it from JavaScript just as well. So yeah, a lot yeah, of their APIs. So one question I wanted to ask you, you know, at, at front end masters, you're doing a lot of a lot of training, and I, I want to talk about front end masters in more detail later on. But um, one question that I find fascinating, and this was I talked to a lot of people at React Conf. Where they were going through this, and like um, with, with with Angular kind of being predominant for a while, and then now React is is becoming the new hotness. There are a lot of people who are migrating from Angular to React. Do you have any insight on how easy it is to migrate from Angular to React, and perhaps some best practices for doing a migration like that? You're definitely not talking to the right person with that. <laughs> like I oh. said, I, I do not use frameworks myself. Yeah. Um, so, you know, with front end masters and stuff, like I try to, I try to invite the people to, to do this who are, you know, the people that are creating change and, you know, have deployed, uh, you know, major, you know, major applications and all these frameworks. So, you know, 
I'll I'll lean on them. But to mm. me, I, I personally, I'm maybe that more, would be a great class. It, what's that? Maybe that would be a great course, like migrating from Angular to React. Yeah. So what's weird is like this podcast has been mostly about frameworks and stuff, but I am actually the most like I'm I'm purist in in terms of like understanding the deep fundamentals of JavaScript. And like most of our courses are actually on the deep fundamentals of JavaScript. All of our most popular stuff, it's all on deep fundamentals of, of, of JavaScript and software engineering, um, functional reactive programming, hardcore functional programming. Like it's all on deep fun- fundamentals and, um, you know, these paradigms, which I'm way more excited about than frameworks. Frameworks to me are, you know, they're patterns that people put out there. And they're, you know, they're exciting and they afford you some things. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it all comes down to understanding the, the deep fundamentals and the deep uh, sort of software development concepts. So, like. so before we get into front-end masters in more detail, or I should say, I guess, easing into the discussion of front-end masters, let me play the devil's advocate and say, you know, what if learning JavaScript, learning learning raw JavaScript in in gratuitous detail, is like trying to learn assembly code when you could just learn a higher level framework, have the framework take care of all these things for you? Um, what would you say to somebody that argued that? Um, well, I think that's a great way to you know start out. To be honest, I mean. When you're building, like, say... In you're saying learning assembly is a great way to start. No, no, no. I'm saying, like, learning in the higher higher level, like, highest okay. level um, uh, sort of whatever, like, is actually a great way to, like, out of the box be productive and get excited about the practice of development, right? That's what it is all about in the early days. Can you get stuff on the page? Can you get stuff on the screen or as a back-end development? Can I get data in, data out in the way that I think it should be? And that's exciting. Like seeing stuff happen is exciting in the early days. Um, But when you try to be sort of at the senior level, um, you know, at the architect level, you have to really understand, um, you know, that there's a cost associated with adopting a higher level um, abstraction, right? And, you know, that cost could be performance. You know, you could write a couple lines of, um, you know, some framework and all of a sudden, you know, it's like, you know, you have like 800, you know, 800 kilobytes of JavaScript because you pulled in all these high level, you know, NPM modules or whatever. And it's like very productive. And that's exactly where you want to be at in the early stage of your career is you want to be productive. Right, you want to see stuff show on the screen. You want to be excited about it. You want to be in that cycle of you know sort of building. But what what happens when you build on the highest level abstraction layers is that eventually you get leaky abstractions where there is a bug and you have no idea. Like you are just never going to solve that problem. You're just never going to because you know, when one layer of abstraction fails and you have some sort of bug that's like fundamental to, you know, it's like now we have like a framework, which is React, and then we, you know, we're on ES6 and, you know, Babel and whatever. So it's like you've got all these different layers. And then if you go even further to like ClojureScript or Ohm or whatever, you know, you have to understand that, um, you know, each abstraction layer could have some leaky abstraction that could, um, bite, you know, just completely bite you and you're just completely screwed because you don't understand, um, you know, all the layers that you're building on top of, um, well, so there's no way you can like submit a patch to the language and submit it upstream. Like you're not at that level. Like you are beholden to the abstraction that you're sitting on top of. Right. And so that's where I prefer just writing in, you know, pure JavaScript or, you know, at this point, like ES6 or whatever, because um, I, I feel confident that that abstraction is not going to be, you know, leaky, you know, I guess. Sure. No, that's that's a fantastic explanation. And I want to now segue into uh, talking about front-end masters because you have now lent yourself significant credibility. I think that was a really, really good explanation. So what does front-end masters do? Uh, yeah, so we hold um, 
sort of these hybrid workshops, right? So when I say hybrid, I mean they're both in-person and online. Um, so we invite sort of the best uh, uh, teachers in front end, like, you know, they're deep into a specific topic like asynchronous programming or, you know, like functional programming or whatever, right? They're, they're great at like, they have deep knowledge in like a specific topic. They come and teach um, in front of our class and our kind of mix is 15 people in person and 100 online. Um, and we run these full day classes. They can be one day, they can be two days, they can be three days. Uh, we even have a six day, uh, algorithms and data structures workshop coming up. Um, and you know, these are like the best of the best people are like the most famous and, uh, it's just like super awesome to have them teach in front of a passionate audience. You know, people who are, are, uh, excited about the topic that are, is being, presented and we turn those into videos um, and we have a process to like segment and document and pull out all, the, all of the uh, sort of like, you know, example time and all that stuff. So it's just like lecture and examples and solutions and that's all you get in the videos. Um, so it ends up being a lot more compact and we put those on, on frontofmaster.com slash courses. Uh, it's, so the process takes about like two, three months. Um, between when we actually hold the workshop and when it becomes a course, we put it up there and then everybody can subscribe for, you know, $39 a month or 390 a year. And there's some team plans and stuff like that. So it's just, it's, it's kind of like you used to with team Treehouse or code school or put site or whatever, right? You just subscribe and you get access to everything. But the difference is we hold these in person, everything is in person and you can buy a ticket and actually show up live, uh, you know, in person or online. Um, sure. Or just subscribe and get, you know, the fire hose of all the workshops. It's obviously a, uh, a good and a helpful business for a lot of people. Uh, how do you keep up with all of the new technologies that are coming out? Like, how do you produce content at a rate that that keeps up with with the newest stuff? Or I guess do you? I guess since you focus on JavaScript, it's a little more. Perhaps your material is a little more timeless. You can take a more leisurely pace to how you choose to to select what technologies to yeah. highlight so i mean specifically javascript yes all front-end stuff yes um because javascript but, but, isn't but, going anywhere right but we but i i feel like we're you know focused on the deep fundamentals and really so like you know advanced javascript is actually our you know probably most popular like consistent course right where you know it's just been consistently popular all the time. Um, people want an advanced understanding of JavaScript itself and uh, difficult to grasp things like closure and scope and, um, you know, stuff like that. So prototypes, um, whatever. So that, that, uh, that focus on deep fundamentals, you know, deep fundamentals really are sort of way more timeless um, you know, JavaScript, the good parts, we recorded that in like 2012 or 2011 or something like that. And it's still like, you know, fairly popular, but, and he's, he is coming, Crockford actually released, uh, he's doing three, three days and he's expanding his scope to like security fundamentals and stuff like that, which is really interesting. Um, amazing stuff. It's all about like functional programming and security and stuff like that. So he is doing a refresh. But yeah, Can you talk I mean, about that in more detail? I don't know anything about security fundamentals of JavaScript. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, he talks about kind of like really the web, right? And how, you know, we're just injecting all this functionality uh, through HTML5 and stuff like that into the browser. And now it's like this application development platform, but it doesn't have a great security model. So we have, you know, constantly have like cross-site scripting attacks and all this kind of stuff. And so he kind of talks about like how that happened and some of the history and some of like, you know, why that's crazy or why we have this crazy, um, you know, problem of security today um, with, you know, sessions being hijacked and all that stuff. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that, that stuff is like super interesting and, you know, the more deep fundamentals we can get, like that's what's exciting to me. 
we do the frameworks because framework on you know knowledge is super important like it's important to like know the hot framework of today because you know you're going to uh come across it in your job you know you're going to um have to define standards for your team you have to understand these tools and technology so um yeah we do kind of a mix but i try to lean more towards the the deep fundamentals but we definitely do like you know we have angular 2 workshops coming up and they're like pretty much sold out already so i mean whatever so yeah that's cool so you know douglas crockford i think uh, obviously the author of javascript the good parts uh i think also what is he the creator of json is that right yeah he says the founder of json Founder yeah. of JSON, okay. Because yeah, he discovered so, it within the language that this was a great way to mark up data and yeah, pass certainly data true. around. Certainly true. So have you learned anything from your interactions with Douglas Crockford, like perhaps some unintuitive uh, notions of JavaScript or front-end development? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was just really cool when he came out and did his latest version. It was less about you know, sort of what you can't do or what you shouldn't do in JavaScript, which was kind of his original mantra with JavaScript, the good parts. And he was more like focused on sort of the positive aspects of like how exciting it is to, to, to solve problems with functional programming in JavaScript. And um, I, I don't know. I, yeah, it, it's just kind of cool like to see how he thinks about things and and was showing like generators and you know sort of functional programming stuff that I haven't really seen too many people tackle. Like Kyle Simpson started to tackle some of that stuff, but I don't know. It's just kind of cool to me, like to see these you know very wise people who have built you know a ton of software, um, you know, give their opinions along with you know, deep fundamentals. And that's that's what excites me is like the war stories and the opinions just as much as, you know, the actual knowledge. Because hmm. uh, you can learn, you know, things from anywhere. But like what excites me is like, you know, the deep experience and knowledge that's been brought or the deep experience and like war stories and, store, hmm. you know, stuff around the knowledge uh, that really yeah. helps solidify it. So, yeah, I mean, I've learned that um, – I uh, learned like some really cool stuff with generators and functional programming that uh, kind of blew my mind in his workshop, his latest uh, JavaScript to good parts, which isn't, which will be out in a, like a m April or so, I think. And with Frontend Masters, you're teaching a variety of types of students, and we have a variety of types of listeners. We have college students, um, people who are. Um, learning to code despite being later in their careers. Uh, maybe they're considering a career pivot. There's probably some high school, definitely some high school students listening. Um, how do you design courses that appeal to each of these different types of people? What are the different types of content that they want to see? Yeah, so I have a, well, my perspective is like, everything is going after sort of the the sort of beginner i feel like you know team treehouse and code school and all these things like it's it's really about kind of your first moments in building software it's really about um sort of like you know making you productive as a software developer kind of the early stages and i feel like we focus on sort of that intermediate to advanced you know stage of like deep learning and deep understanding um and that's that's what's exciting to me uh, is the fact that we're able to, to kind of assume some knowledge up front, assume that you kind of know the basics, um, and then we kind of start there. Um, so we, we, our prerequisites are oftentimes like two to four years of JavaScript and, you know, sort of like we do do some things that are like intro level, like introduction to web development. We did that because everybody was asking us just constantly, like, can you do an introduction to web development course? And it was like, no, we're like focused on intermediate and advanced people. We're not going to do that. But like so many people requested it that we did it and we did it with, you know, two developers from Reddit and, you know, it's like a six to eight hours of fundamentals on, on the basics and, and people are excited about that. It's still fairly popular and all that stuff. But, um, yeah, most of our courses, we kind of assume, uh, some sort of base level of knowledge. And then we were working to, to get you to the deep, like intermediate advanced, 
Um, so that's where like most of our courses are is sort of like that, um, you know, advanced beginner to, you know, intermediate, somebody who wants to go and become, um, you know, a senior level type developer would say, you know, they know kind of the basics and they want to go, um, deep. And so, yeah, we do have some basics courses like, uh, the one you mentioned, JavaScript fundamentals to functional, uh, with Bianca, but, um, even that, you know, sort of starts and kind of assumes, you know, some base knowledge of, you know, some experience with JavaScript. Uh, mm -hmm. We really don't have too much that's at the be beginner, beginner level because I feel like Code Academy is free. Khan Academy is free. Like, go learn there, right? Go start there. Go yeah. get your first experiences with programming and be excited about the practice. And when you're excited about it and you discover front-end masters, wow, this, this goes deep. Um, you know, into some areas that, you know, you're just not going to find elsewhere. Yeah. Um, that's what's exciting to me is like we can kind of come at that, uh, come at the practice and be like, okay, you know, now you're, you're a professional developer. Like let's, let's treat you as such and let's go as deep as we can in the amount of time that we have. Yeah. Well, I, I love that you know the niche that you're going after and you aren't afraid to uh, encourage people to pursue other things if front-end masters is not for them. Yeah, I mean, we all have learning styles, right? We all have, yeah. we all have things that resonate with us, um, you know, greatly. And, like, it's all about being excited and passionate about learning and finding the things that work for you, right? Yeah. And this is a format that is incredibly exciting to me. Um, I, I absolutely love our teachers. I love meeting them every time. I love like hearing what they have to say and participating in the courses and uh, reviewing stuff later in the videos. Like it's a, I love the format, right? Personally, but yeah. you know, I can't tell everybody like this is the way that you should learn because yeah. we all learn very differently, right? Yeah. Well, that seems like a, a great place to close off, um, Mark. I want to thank you for coming on the show. This has been super interesting. Uh, the time flew by, and and I, uh, I'm, I'm really glad to have gotten your perspectives on the changing landscape of front-end development. I didn't expect the conversation to be so much about the, the fundamentals of JavaScript, but that's definitely something that I will uh, take away from in this uh, overhyped world of frameworks. Yeah. Yeah, well... Frameworks are good. They have their place. Right. So. Cool. Well, well, thanks for coming on the show, Mark. Yeah, yeah. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me.